Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people who are currently working in schools, and we talk about life in their current country and dive into some specific topics. The podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People always ask what Chromebooks we recommend and what Windows laptops we recommend, and after trying literally all of them, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more info and try out some devices, please just go to gg.gg forward slash Acer Education. That's gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get right back to you. Also, the podcast is brought to you by Apps Events. We're a Google partner. We work all around the world. We've just got one piece of new information right now. This is in, in January 2021. We're a G Suite Enterprise for Education partner. That's Giuseppe. This is a bunch of premium tools available to people using Google at their schools. We can help you get set up with a free one-month trial. So please check out the link in the show notes, and we'll do that right away. Now, on to the interview. Good morning, and it's such a pleasure to be here with Nancy Scucciarini who is a colleague, friend, and also somebody that has been very active uh, working with different organizations during the pandemic on professional learning, uh, the virtual learning loft with ECIS chapters, et cetera. But I'm gonna really turn it over to Nancy just to give us kind of to our audience uh, a little overview of your professional journey. And then we're gonna kind of dig in about uh, professional development and facilitation and workshops, something that you do so well in many different contexts. And uh, kind of hear some of your perspective of what has changed and what are the new opportunities. So over to you, Nancy, if you can just kind of give us a little bio overview. Okay, first of all, thank you, John, for this opportunity and to Apps Event. I'm so excited. This is my first like recording and just doing a, just something like this. So I'm very, very thrilled to do it. Well, my educational journey, let's say, started in 1986. I'm a native New Yorker and I started teaching um, right after university. And I taught in the New York public schools for five years before moving to Luxembourg and getting involved with international education. So that was 1991. I was really, really thrilled that I was able to get a job as a sixth grade teacher at the International School of Luxembourg. And I taught sixth grade for 19 years. I know, take a step back. You might be like, that's a long time. But I loved it. I loved the way the school was engaging with learning. And then after 19 years, I became um, principal for teaching and learning. And that really was starting my journey uh, in terms of how to embrace the collective wisdom of a staff. Because when I was a, a sixth grade teacher, I was around the most amazing, amazing educators. And yes, we had a lot of incredible facilitators come to the school, but I also started looking at the talent we had within the school. So when looking at being an assistant principal, I was really fortunate because I started working with certain organizations that actually had the same approach and philosophy to um, learning for educators. So the first, um, let's say my first real, real opening into an international education and the learning as an international educator was the PTC. I took my first course in 2009. And after that, I always told Bambi Betts, who's the CEO, that I am a PTC junkie. I took nine courses 
And eventually I became a trainer. And being a trainer was absolutely a privilege because you are working with so many um, really innovative and inspirational leaders who are trainers and also meeting um, educators from around the world. And then that led me to also getting involved with ECIS. Uh, I then became the chair of the teaching and learning special interest group. And that became an area where, again, just embracing that collective wisdom of all these international educators and elevating their voice became a passion of mine. I just felt like this is the way we should be moving forward when it came to um, looking at our professional journey as educators. And then finally, I realized that, you know, we could actually start elevating the voice of the teachers that we have at our school. And I started working more with professional learning at ISL, doing um, more peer observations, getting teachers into other rooms, and also looking at doing teaching, teachers teaching teachers. And really the journey just hasn't stopped. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be able to move in that direction. That's great, Nancy. And it's just such a, a rich uh, journey that you've had with so many different organizations, which I think is what's so interesting because in uh, your work, most of it, if not all of it, has always been face-to-face -face in a workshop yes. room, at a conference, or at another school, or within your own school. And, and you've also done a lot of work with parents, etc. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm wondering is so suddenly you have been involved with a lot of different organizations and they've all kind of transitioned and pivoted to managing what they do well, but online. And I'm curious to hear this about you, yourself because you worked with chapters, you're working with ECIS, you work at ISL, uh, you're involved with these different organizations and women in leadership, of course, is another organization that you're uh, intimately involved. Mm -hmm. What do you think has been the biggest struggle, maybe for you and then what you've observed about organizations that that you work with? What has been kind of the, the suddenly, suddenly this happened and you guys had to kind of continue? That's a great That's question. Great. Uh, when originally ISL was hosting many, many conferences, like you said, and we would do almost eight conferences a year. We did Learning 2, we've done the ECIS Educators Conference, and the biggest feedback we got from those conferences was the relationships. It was the networking, it was the drink after the conference, it was the morning coffee. And one of the struggles of going virtual, and you've heard this on many, many other podcasts, is how do you keep those connections in a virtual context? And what I've seen from this transition is that some presenters had the, I think they had good intent, but they thought they could just move a presentation from which they were doing in a physical context to a virtual. It doesn't work. It just yeah. doesn't work. You started hearing the term um, being zoomed out, uh, screen fatigue, uh, and really, you know, I read this great article. It was by, I'm trying to think of it, Becky, what was it? It was Becky uh, Supiano, and it, she talked about why is Zoom so fatiguing, was the article. And I remember this quote she said, it said something like, it feels like a hollow impersonation of a face-to-face -face classroom. And... 
this is one area when it came to facilitators that everyone needs to redesign and re-image how they did their presentations. Because if not, it was so much easier to disconnect online. You could watch, I don't know, I could be watching Netflix while I'm looking at a screen and I'm just nodding at the right time, but they didn't know what I was doing. I was watching a really good Netflix movies. I was watching, you know, Tom Cruise, The Last Samurai. So really the idea of, yes, there was Zoom fatigue, but also was it just poor facilitation and realizing that we're talking about a new platform, therefore our previous methods of how we present are no longer suffice nor engaging because it's the idea of how do you promote connections in a virtual uh, setting and it has to be intentional. Just opening up the Zoom room and waiting for people to enter is not promoting a sense of belonging. So I felt that this was one of the greatest areas that a lot of facilitators had to transition and learn how do you make and elevate relationships that was the core of face-to-face -face conferences and workshops. And that to me is still an ongoing, even though we're into it more than a year, I still see this is still an ongoing issue with some uh, workshops and seminars. So let's go back. Uh, I was basically, you were explaining this kind of flip from the face-to-face -to, -face to the uh, virtual room and then this idea of intention. And I love your anecdote where people usually in a workshop, they walk in, they sit down, they have a bit of a chat. The mm -hmm. facilitator's there. It's very organic and loose and there's mm -hmm. some connection happening. But I'm hearing that if you do that, basically have people come into Zoom room and just sit there and wait for the uh, facilitator to start, that replication doesn't work because there's no intention sense of, of belonging. And I'm wondering, uh, what are you still? Oh, Dan. Hey, Dan's here. Nice. Hi, Dan. Hi, hey, guys. Sorry Dan. to interrupt. I was, just, uh, I was actually came, ended up in the office. I was just watching you, so I thought I'd say hi. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Good to see you. Hi, Nancy. So excited to be here! Thank you so much. I love this. Yeah, yeah. No, this is good, John. Look, I don't need to. I don't need to join. It's up to you. We can just edit this bit out, or I, or I can join in. No, join, continue. join, join, join. Please. I think it would be really good to have you in here. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Excellent. So we're just wonderful. Dan just popped in. So over to oh, you, Dan. Did. Hi. I know. Last minute, we. I, I had a day off today, and unfortunately, my, my daughter. My daughter's a bit sick, so um, she's at home. We were going to go to the zoo. The zoos have just opened in Prague. The first thing to open, you can take kids to. Wow. So um, unfortunately, not today. But I'm going to take Monday off, and we'll we'll go to the zoo. One of the benefits of doing my own thing, you know, I can choose which days to take <laughs> off. You know. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So Dan, lovely to have you. And we were just so uh, we're just kind of talking about this idea of all these workshops and facilitations yep. and keynotes that happen face to face. And then this transition and Nancy was kind of highlighting the importance of intentionality and connection yep. in the virtual Zoom. And so Nancy, maybe can you explain why maybe many of the uh, presenters like yourself and Dan and myself, all of us maybe didn't have that understanding? Is it because we didn't do it online or was it because the way we were doing it offline maybe was mm -hmm. not as intentional as we thought we were intentional? 
I think it's a mixture of both. You do have that organic, uh, you know, when you walk into a room, seeing someone you know, and just making that connection. And just literally, you can stand by, you know, your table and someone sits next to you. When you're in a Zoom room, you're not going to have someone in the side and you're like, I don't even know who's next to me. You know, it's that, it's the structure of the virtual. It has to be so intentional because you don't have that sense of belonging. You don't have that sense of why am I here? Why is this going to make a difference to me to take my time to join this type of uh, learning? And I also think there's another uh, thought behind it. You know, there's adaptive schools and they have this concept of inclusion activities. Now, some facilitators are brilliant at it. The idea that as soon as you get into a room, they actually do these type of tasks that bring that sense of inclusiveness, that you are part of a learning community. If you didn't have that as face-to-face, -face, you're definitely not going to have this virtual because it's an intentional learning task that you need to elevate the voice. And that voice is talking about the idea of who am I as a learner in this workshop? So it's it's a mixture of both, but it does have to be that idea of making connections within, because the best thing about, uh, I think of we did the Google Summit two years ago, Dan. People still talk about getting the coffee, meeting the, after, the drinks afterwards. Oh. It was that relationship. So how do we make that feeling of being part of a community virtual? I've got a question for, for you, Nancy, and for both of you, actually, because yeah. I've heard conflicting opinions on this. Obviously, we're, we're all uh, an age where we grew up without video chat and we grew up without the internet when we were, when we were young, you know? Do you think p digital natives, I mean, high school students and even younger teachers, say, in their 20s, early 30s, do you think they're much more attuned and more adapted to video chat and this kind of, these kind of meetings, or do you think it actually doesn't help them at all? I would say my kids who are in their 20s don't do mm -hmm. video chat. They really? do not. The, the, it's all text. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's amazing how much texting, I mean, even complex relationship dialogue is done via text. They definitely, I mean, we have a family Zoom, blah, 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 but that's not something that they would opt out. It's the old school father that decided yeah, to have yeah. a family Zoom with the old school mom, you know. So but, that's that's yeah. just a very little anecdote from my own context of having uh, two kids in their mid twenties that are, you know, working and just doing their life thing. Uh, I don't know, Nancy, what do you think? Well, my boys are 22 and 25 and they sometimes sit with me when I'm doing a workshop and they actually say, my professors don't do this at, <laughs> because they're all virtual. They, they actually said, I wish we had something like that. Because I feel like my son started a new university because of COVID and he still doesn't know anybody in the room. And we're not talking about 200 kids in a room. We're talking about yep. maybe 20. And he actually said, I wish my teacher did something where I got to even like know their names. Yep. So I'm torn between what they might do socially and how they, my one son has been online for over a year for his master's. And he's like, I have to do it on my own. Like we make a ch chat group, you know, uh, WhatsApp. But within the classroom, there is no intentionality of how he got to meet the other students in a class of 20. Interesting. So it goes, I, I, I don't, you know. And Dan, yeah. what about you and, and your work? I mean, Apps Events does so much professional development, yeah. but were you already doing online before? So maybe you were yeah. more adapt to it? Yeah, I mean, this is like I've I've been doing this this kind of 
call we're on now and online trading. I've been doing this for 11 years, you know, because right. I was, um, you know, with apps events, obviously I started with John. John, we ran the first two events together. But then immediately, like the next one, if you remember, John, was a guy came from Bangkok, Wayne Bowering from the American School of Bangkok. That's and right. Then we did one in Bangkok. And then we did one in El Salvador, actually, was the next one. So it was international from the beginning. So back then it was kind of Skype. It was pre-Zoom, obviously, yeah. um, pre-Google Meet even. Uh, before it was Hangouts. It was Google Hangouts came pretty quickly, actually. But um, I'm my this for me is normal. But, you know, it's, that's why I was asking the question about younger people, because mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily makes you any better at it. You've got to have that intentionality to become a better right. presenter and engage people and, and work out ways around it. And the reason I ask the question is because when I see sort of young teachers, I don't think they're any better at, at this than people in their, say, 40s and 50s, you know. I, I I, and and I, yeah. I would expect they would have, my, my thought was they would have been because they've grown up with this sort of technology, but I don't think it really helps people. It's just my opinion, anecdotally, you know. I think that's interesting, Dan, is kind of highlighting just because you know the tools doesn't mean you do use them well. And yeah. I think that's what I'm hearing. Uh, yes, exactly. And one thing that I know that Nancy has always talked about is the hands, the heart, yes. and the, sorry, the hands, the heart, one more, one more H. Head. The hands, the heart, and the, and the head. head. Thank you, Dan. You have to think yeah. that way. You have to think that way. Tell you us know, a bit about that. When looking, it's funny because I was just reading this article by, um, I think it's Mike Flynn and the current uh, educational leadership. And he talked about, Dan, what you were saying, just the idea of sometimes the technology is what is scaring presenters in terms of, you know, making making a mistake or, and that is then actually blocking them from moving forward to have their real presentation. Uh, before, when if you would mess something up face to face, you would be able to say, why don't you talk to your partner for a minute? And then you'd be fixing your slides here yeah. in front of everybody. Um, is it recorded? I guess, I guess is, is the stuff you do in the virtual learning hall, is it, is it recorded? No, we're, we're no, going to start not. though. We're going to start because we've had so many requests. But I, I, when it came to Loft, I think the positive with the Loft, and I was surprised how it's it's really grown because initially it was, we used to do face-to-face and then I said, let's try virtual. And I'm John, and I'm lucky I work with John. So we already have, I people sense we have a relationship online that you can sense that we know each other we know each other as educators so there's not we're very casual as well we'll start in and we make that connection and i started doing some research about the head the heart and the hands and it comes from the trans um transformative learning the idea that when you are learning you should be thinking of the affective the cognitive and the psychomotive so I thought that could be transition to virtual learning. So the heart, the heart means as soon as someone enters the room, how do you get them connected? How do you make them feel like they're part of a learning community? And this is something John and I do by either, well, as soon as they come in, they get music, just so they know this is a casual atmosphere. Then we usually have a prompt and you know everyone always does this. Tell us where you're from. If I write greetings from Luxembourg one more time, I'm going to. So we'll do something like, what made you smile today? How has a student impacted you? So we're already connecting the idea that we're a group of educators as soon as they come in. And then the idea of, so that's the heart, the connections, the, the sense of belonging. And that is intentional. We never start a loft with people just entering the room. 
Um, it's always greeting people. And because it's John, John knows everybody, you know, in international education. So he's literally saying, hi, Mary, hi, Mary, to everybody in the world. I know like three people, but <laughs> that greeting people as soon as they go into the room, it's just like what you used to do face to face. But even if we have like 150 people, I'll try to mention as many people as I can to make them know, thank you for taking the time. So that's to heart. And then we started thinking about what the head refers to, what type of thinking are we expecting from the attendees? So we always put a prompt. It could be critical thinking. It could be an analysis. And it might you might think of it as, oh, that's a really simple prompt, but you have to look at the thinking behind it. And then the yeah. last is, you know, we talk about the hands. And most people think hands is the idea of um, doing physical movement, which is, we always do breakout rooms. We have the idea of that type of collaboration, but it's also hands refers to engagement. First of all, getting people collective wisdom. And the other is the idea that what is their takeaway? What is the engagement that once they leave that webinar, they can leave it and say, I can do something in my classroom tomorrow. So the hands is also that physical and virtual takeaway. So anytime we meet with our guests, we tell them, okay, how are we gonna start it off? We need to have engagement. What is the takeaway? We don't want a bunch of slides with bullet points. That's a death wish. You might as well just say, go to bed right now. Just sleep right now, get a glass of wine. You're gonna sleep for the next 10 minutes. And the facilitators that we have, our guests, they're also friends of ours. And I think that makes a difference in the conversation because sometimes they'll bring up, so how's Bernard? They know that's my husband. He's Belgian. He likes to drink wine. You know, it's, and I, that makes it also, yes, it is very high engagement in terms of cognitive, but it's also knowing we're almost like a, a family coming together. Yeah. And that type of intent makes, uh, it, it seems to um, really connect with people that they come back and back to the loft. Great. Interesting, Nancy. And so this and you also, I know, have been working with chapters and you're working uh, with Ron Richards and Kath mm -hmm. Murdoch and you had Alan November. And I know you actually even had a session where you were kind of guiding them. And I would love to hear a bit about, you know, these are the big presenters on the workshop circuit. Kath Murdoch is famous for inquiry, Ron Richard with visible thinking. I think uh, Trevor McKenzie might have been there. Uh, it was. Anyway, and so what are what is somebody that is a big name presenter, big mm -hmm. name workshop person that is hired by schools around the world, is constantly in a plane, and suddenly they can't do that anymore? Mm -hmm. What do you think are some of their learnings and some of their challenges that you've observed being a facilitator in those conversations with them? Mm -hmm. Well, if you were to go to the Chapters International Twitter uh, account, you'll see a picture of all of us from that evening. First of all, it was an honor to facilitate. I was so nervous. So imagine it's Ron, it's Kath Murdoch, it's Carol Ann Tomlinson, Jay McTie. And I was like, Ugh! now I all the rock know- stars of education. And I was just like, and so there's 20, 20 um, educators of that caliber there. And it was the most, I, I can't even begin the language of how they were talking about their fears of, I don't want to say fears, but apprehension of redesigning what they've already done. Yeah. 
And the best part is these group of educators, I started this Google Doc and we started sharing. I mean, I'm getting advice from like Ron Reshot, you know, like of how he transitioned from face to face and they were all giving each other tips. It was, it was, I, I was so inspired. I already really respected all these educators in front of me, but here they are just sharing their best practices of how to get people engaged. How should we do different type of prompts, all different types of, should we use Jamboard? I'm like, definitely use Jamboard. That's the best thing. And we're talking, so they've all experienced it, but what I found so inspirational, they're all still learning. None of them said, I can take out my old PowerPoint and just put it back up again. Yeah, yeah, that's and interesting. That was uh, was amazing. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, definitely people of that caliber that have a, a large audience and are, uh, you know, respected and reputable in the sense that schools really see them as leaders in uh, pedagogic thinking, it, very likely there you have to be a learner in this context currently. And I think, uh, you know, and I, I'd be curious to hear, you know, Nancy, is this now easier to do than going back? So you had do the meet and greets with the parents, mm -hmm. uh, the virtual learning lofts we've been talking about next year. Uh, you know, is it just easier doing it this way? And does it have as much power or is it a combination of both? I foresee us doing a hybrid uh, eventually that for many schools financially, they might not be able to have the same resources to send 20 people to go on a different workshop. So I, I, I see the virtual continuing. I guess I'm looking at the different stakeholders. Parents, they've actually embraced the virtual. We have more parents going to our weekly meet and greet workshops than we ever did face-to-face. Parents are able to, they don't have to worry about getting daycare. That has been very successful. So I, we will continue with virtual parent uh, workshop. In terms of educators, I still miss the the drink afterwards. Sorry, I guess I may like, I, I still miss that. <laughs> you know, I, I do. I mean, I, but as a, as a host, I don't miss picking up the coffee cups, worrying about Post-it notes, you know, the the chart paper, the glue sticks. Someone yeah. needs all of a sudden that I don't miss whatsoever. Um, but I do miss when I'm not hosting. Oh, I just love seeing people. So I, I, I will continue as a hybrid. I, I believe we're not going to let go of virtual. It's so I'm hearing that with the parent community, what you suddenly have is larger engagement because you Absolutely. record them and then people yeah. can watch afterwards. And I think this whole thing of recording, I think, Dan, you were even alluding to it, you know, is you have a conversation like this and then you record it and then people can come at their own yeah. timescape and sure. decide, okay, I want to spend the time or I'm going to work out mm -hmm. and listen to this. And I think that is something that maybe schools can really leverage in reaching parents in a more targeted way. Yeah. Dan, do you feel that you guys, are you already thinking about face-to-face -face again? Are you already planning yeah, it? Sir? We, you know what, we're doing a face-to-face -face event in the UK uh, on Monday, believe it or not. Really? Wow. Really oh, surprising. Tell us about it. Ben, Ben's doing it and he's, get, he's got the, the visor, um, an internal event at a school. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we've got a conference scheduled in Bangkok for October. It's, you know, we, we might, I think there's a good chance we'll have to cancel it, but we're thinking second half of the year to be running some in-person mm -hmm. stuff. Um, 
schools ask for it occasionally and now and again i mean usually we can't do it because we just can't get a presenter to go to the country you know but schools are all already starting to think about it. i'm you know i it, it's really tough to say you know if we get yeah. more waves of, of of covid but um you know i don't know about you guys but like like you were saying about going out for a drink i mean i'm missing like you know meeting you guys going out <laughs> to a restaurant having a few beers you know just getting on a plane I'm, i haven't been on a plane in over a year and I, I used to travel every month you know i traveled more than probably anyone you know and and i haven't done it in a year and it's, it's kind of i'd love to go somewhere mm. yeah i think that social connection is so important and i know that uh uh we were presenting at live and curious which was a conference for mm. south america and central america and the way they had set it up after you presented you could go to what they called the cyber cafe virtual room and i went a couple times but it was really kind of odd because you're sitting there and you don't really know anybody. And it was just kind of, we're all sitting there like, okay, hi, my mm -hmm. name's John. But there's there's a hesitancy. You, you, there's not this fluidity. And yeah. then later on in the day, I went back and that time they had a facilitator. Right. So as you came in, they greeted you. And then they had, oh, what, you know, share something that you learned today. And that immediately changed the dynamic. It wasn't as organic and social, but at least there was that connection. But mm -hmm. I definitely think sometimes these virtual cafes and what they call the lounges between conferences, I, I struggle with them if they're not tightly facilitated, which yeah. defeats the organicness of it. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think that Nancy said, I think we're heading for a hybrid world. I think there's going to be more online events, definitely, because mm -hmm. the tools have moved on. If you look how much Google Meet, Zoom, uh, this we're using StreamYard right now, how much mm -hmm. better these tools have got during the pandemic, you know, and, and, and so I think, I think there's going to be a lot more events. And, and the benefit is obviously, if you, like let's say you want to present yourself at events you can present at a lot more events you know yes. and and you can get a bigger audience i mean the internet's a funny thing you know we put all our content for free on youtube everything and you know an average an average video will get a hundred maybe up to a thousand uh views wow. you know sometimes more but then some will go will go viral and we'll get two hundred thousand you know like we've had we've had a, we've had twenty thousand we've had more fifty we've had more two hundred thousand and then you'll get you'll get like 50 people contacting you, you know, who've seen your video. So that's mm -hmm. that's the advantage you have with with the virtual world when you put it online is you can get a ton of connections, which you in a, in a, in a regular conference or a regular training, you're, you're sort of limited to who's in the room, you know. Yeah, definitely. That, absolutely. And I think that accessibility is really interesting. And very likely, Dan, some of these people that are contacting you have, I mean, you would never cross their paths, right? No, I mean, never, this, never, never. There, there is not that connection. Yeah. Absolutely. Nancy, you also have been branding the Virtual Learning Loft, and I know mm -hmm. you help with ECIS. You have, uh, you've been instrumental in this mentoring program, mm -hmm. uh, ECIS mentoring program. Talk a bit about some of the challenges that maybe as a school in branding uh, a school during the pandemic, you know, and also the Virtual Learning Loft. And, you know, as schools have to kind of actually, you know, Dan talked about these audiences that he builds and then they go viral, then he gets business back. Is that happening in schools or is it a bigger of a struggle? Uh, in terms of the loss of having a school start hosting so many events, um, it is a challenge because you just, it's resources. And it's also knowing who will make or connect with the educators within international schools. So I, I would say what I, what I feel that we're very lucky, especially John and I, is that um, we, know, uh, we know enough educators to say, 
would you be a guest? Would you share your story? So that's been one of the positives when it comes to moving the loft forward. And also having those people who are just, who are pr pr practitioners right now. We're not always getting the big names. We, well, we just get those who are engaged with international educator into education and that's a great example nancy is we had kim house that is uh part of the apps yeah. events team uh and that was really oh, yeah. nice to hear her from a practitioner's side and then we had Kelly, who's talking about teaching and learning with david chadwell so we're getting those practitioners and that really really makes that connection to get someone who's authentic and then when you get into the breakout rooms, you're meeting with Keely or Liz Hardgraves to just talk about what are you doing. So that type of approach has been really positive when it comes to the loft and getting um, that engagement and people continue coming. So we've had a cohort, I think about 30 people who have almost attended every event. And we've done 16 events, which, you know, since June. And we're, they're just like, well, we just like seeing you and John and we know we'll have fun, but we'll learn. But it's it's becoming a family, which I really appreciate. They know they'll learn something that take away the hands, but also the idea that it's five o'clock, you're exhausted. And we always acknowledge that they're taking the time to be with us. And also they know it's a time to bit to relax as well. It's not so formal. We kind of make it organic. Well. We make it seem it's organic, but there actually is a structure to it. And I think that's interesting. And and Dan, very likely in, in I, you know all the apps events uh, that you do with the different presenters, they seem very organic. But I I think what it would be interesting to hear from both Nancy and you, how do you structure an organic thing? And because the sense you just don't, I mean you just don't open the floodgates. There you want it to be natural but you also want to make sure there's a structure so it works. And I'm just curious to hear from both of you. Yeah, well, I think what Nancy said earlier about the head, the hands and the heart, I think you've just got to, first of all, you've got to put a lot of thought into it in advance. I, mm -hmm. I think that's the key thing, you know? And, and, I'm, and I'm definitely not, an, you know, I want to be upfront. I'm not an expert on this, you know, I, I do much less presenting now, you know, I do, I do informal chats like this. So what I do <laughs> is no preparation, but- But you but, have a lot of trainers that you, you know, that yeah, you inspire yeah. and mentor. So it'd be maybe, you know, what are you noticing with them maybe? Yeah, I think, I think it's all about preparation. When I see presenters that do a lot of preparation, they really know who the audience yeah. is going to be. They really yeah. look at the topic. They do things like Nancy said, having kind of, you know, authentic feeling kind of icebreakers, you know, as opposed to, you know, cookie cutter ones. I think yeah. it's all about the preparation. I think I agree. You, can, you can put too little effort into an online event because it seems simple. Like Nancy said, you run an in-person event, there's cleaning, there's AV, there's all kinds of hassles, mm -hmm. but it's a lot simpler online and people can get lulled into a sense of security. So I, I, if I was going to give one piece of advice, it's, it's over prepare for anything. And I've, from what I've seen of your stuff, Nancy, you've, there's a lot of preparation goes into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at courses I'm doing for ECIS and the hours to transition a two day workshop to a 10 hour virtual to think of the synchronous and asynchronous it, it's hours of work and, and, and people don't, they just don't realize Thinking of the transition, you know, I always think of when I present 10-2, 10-2, you talk for 10 minutes, you check for understanding for two minutes. You can't just keep on waffling on. And I could talk for a wall for 20 minutes and have a great time. Like, how are you today? And I, I get no response. But it's just the idea of checking for understanding. How do you get that engagement? And 
as a virtual facilitator, you have to keep on learning. As John said, learn your tools. You know, like um, I just presented for ECIS and we used a Jamboard and people were like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, guys, here's a link. You can learn about it. It's learning those tools for engagement is something the virtual facilitator has to, has to elevate themselves on. That one thing that, sorry, go John. ahead, Dan. No, no, go ahead. One, one technical thing, which people don't talk about too much. I think it's, most people don't put enough effort into their, their hardware setup. I mean, you can see now I've, I've got a, this, it's actually not a very expensive mic, but it, but it's good quality. One, I've, I've got a ring light now. I've got, cause I'm, I'm doing this all the time. I'm on video chat. So I actually put some effort into having, having this, you know, and I think yeah. it, it's worth it. And also if, if I can just sit down, I press a button, I've got it all ready to go. It means that I'm a lot more relaxed when, when I do it, you know? Absolutely. Look, Dan, my ring light. Yeah. My, yeah. my special. And, and people, you have to. I was at a conference once and the person looked like they were in a cave. And I wanted <laughs> to take a picture and say, listen, buddy, you look like you're in a cave right now. Like, it's almost, you know, one thing I've told some people who are starting to present record yourself on Zoom. Yeah. Check yeah. your pace. Check your light. See, right now I'm a little dark behind me, so I should have my light on. Um, yeah. But it's knowing because if you don't take the time to yeah. prepare, that tells your attendees, listen, that or even watch your backgrounds. I saw someone who was in a professional context have like the beach of, you know, and I was like, mm, totally inappropriate, you know. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. One thing that we definitely have. Oh, nice light. Yeah. I need to put mine in. Okay, guys. Enough about the light. It's like, look, my light's bigger than the other one. I just have sunlight in the background. John's gone, John's gone for the natural approach. <laughs> I'm going organic. <laughs> but one thing that Nancy and I have, uh, and, and I think Nancy coined the term, it's called the wing wing person. We do the loft together, not be because, and yes. when Nancy's facilitating or I'm facilitating, she does the breakout room. She makes sure the power, you know, the Google slide goes up. She makes sure the chat's going on. And we found with that and letting guests in and dealing with that has made it feel more organic and fluid, but we actually yeah, do it deliberately. We prepare yeah. that. And that's something that I found. The other thing that I've noticed now that I've been teaching some online courses and just finished one. And one of the feedback was they love the breakout room. So it's kind of, you present for five to six minutes, seven minute breakout room. And we just did one with Carlos Davidich, which was about mental uh, well-being. And it's quite a meaty subject. And you would tend to want to only listen to the expert. But what we found is with uh, five minutes, he can actually unload a fair amount of poignant information. And then people had that seven minutes together. And it's amazing how much they enjoy that breakout room. So I think having that structure and doing it with two is important. Having somebody help you in the background just for that Zoom stuff or Google Meet, whatever it is, you know, I think that, that having a, a, a kind of a tech support person uh, in that dynamic, we have found and I have found and other work really helpful. Yeah. I, I think it's essential, John. I think, yeah, great yeah. point. We we always have someone like that. Even if we're doing a, a video chat with two of us, we have we have one person always in the background. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's huge. Go you know what I feel honored right now? I am John Micton's tech support. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Is this recorded? Everybody, I am John Mixon's text report. So I've been elevated, you know. And the wingman is from, you know, Top Gun, by the way. You know Top Gun, Tom Cruise, sure. the wingman. Of course. We gotta have a wingman. If not, that's where uh and also it's just good to get some feedback while people in the breakout room. Should I speak slower? What did you think? You know, how is this? It's just nice to get that feedback in between the session as during the session when people are in a breakout room. Nancy, just I know time's running out, but one thing that you have been helping at our school, and I know many other schools in mm -hmm. Zug and have been getting, and in Prague, I know uh, kids, virtual kind of sessions with kids. And I know you ran one for diversity. Uh, there's been one about racism. And I'm just curious, you know, are you noticing now schools leveraging this with their own students more? I mean, are mm -hmm. you seeing more student agency because of this platform and they don't have to fly in to do, talk, have a diversity conversation with other kids? I think Dan brought this up of how suddenly you're reaching a greater audience because it's recorded and you have people that are contacting you that maybe you've never would be able to before. That is definitely happening with the students elevating their voice via Zoom with, with topics that are passionate to them. And what schools have been doing, for example, we did diversity, we did LGBT, is that we have schools getting the link and they're showing it to their entire classes. So we're getting classes connected with classes on topics with the chat. And what I, I think what is the most ins inspirational is this is totally kid run. All it's really there's a group of kids who do it and they're the ones who are facilitating. They're the ones who are doing the chat. They're the ones who are doing all the introductions and seeing their confidence build that I find one of the most positive impacts of now us doing these type of events with students uh, virtually. It's what I found interesting was the meatiness of the topics they yeah. picked. Uh, racism, you know, and bring your teachers in, this LGBT, right. uh, diversity, just as, and, you know, emotional well-being. It's interesting that the, the, the high comfort level that they have to get an audience and they're getting their teachers in the room. I'm not sure as educators we're having those meaty conversations sometimes. It's very kind of under the lens of pedagogy and education. Mm -hmm. And I just think really, I, I've been in a couple of those rooms that I've just been blown away. People literally yeah. coming out and saying, you know, this is actually what's happening to me and I'm being honest and, and very powerful. I think the also the the preparation, as Dan was saying, these kids have been prepared. You know, we have lovely Miss Dolene who is facilitates the TED group and the preparation she does with these children in terms of questioning techniques, even in terms of their body, their, you know, how do you look, looking straight at the camera, having their voice. So her role has been instrumental in getting these kids prepared. Literally, all I do is let the people in, but it's the preparation by teachers like Dolene that really get their public speaking, their confidence. So virtually, they look like pros. They're doing better than some teachers who are presenting virtually in terms of their, their impact with their audience. Yeah, yeah. I just want to put a plug in for a resource that Nancy and I have been using is Play, uh, play, oh, play on yeah. Purpose. Thank you. Play on Purpose. Uh, it was a podcast I listened to, and this lady, I forget her name, and I apologize, go to the website Play on Purpose, uh, is just about how you make virtual meetings more purposeful and bring in the idea of play. 
uh, yes. humor and movement. We do this thing with the high five. Uh, we've done Mexican waves. It sounds stupid, but it right. actually works. People find it funny doing a wave on Zoom, you know, or we do a number, you know, you try to count to 20 with everybody in the room. And if somebody uses the number again, you start over again, you know, things like that. And I just think some of those things often are perceived as silly, but it's, I'm always surprised how impactful and how engaged people are and find them actually fun. But even that one exercise of one through 20, people are like, oh, this is just to kill time. Actually, the, the objective is looking at um, physical, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? What's body language or uh, body language, exactly. looking at the body language in a virtual context, who's ready to speak, who's not ready to speak. So play on purpose always has an objective that aligns to the task. Um, actually, I'm on my second course with another organization called Miravia. And I took this brilliant, brilliant uh, course that was with Laura Lipton. And it was only about vir uh, virtual facilitation. And it used a lot of the protocols from adaptive schools and thinking collaboratively, but yet making them in a virtual setting. And I would say that type of um, direct instruction is what I needed because I knew I could facilitate face-to-face, -face, but getting those little hints like, oh, of course you can do that. I did that face-to-face, -face, but I needed to know how to transition it to a virtual context. And they've been brilliant. Uh, Laura Lipton, big shout out to her. She was great. Nice. Great. So play on purpose and Laura Lipton, uh, two people to consider. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Nancy, thank you. It's just been such a pleasure. I know it feels strange. We're colleagues and we, I have the privilege and honor of working with you every day, but uh, it's just nice to have you on because you do so much work with uh, chapters, ECIS and women in leadership and ISL. It's just a real honor to have you on today oh, yeah. and hear some of your wisdom and uh, some of the strategies. And uh, Dan, I don't know if you have a last question for Nancy or anything. No, I think it's great. I, I was interested. I think I think Nancy should become a regular regular guest on the podcast. I I'm agree. ready. I, Dan, thank <laughs> you for this. This is such a great opportunity. I loved it. Like I said, this was just so much fun to share, and I I really feel privileged that I was asked to join today. Really, yeah. thank you. Podcasting is an interesting format because you can be much less formal than you would be in a presentation. You know, you know, That's people on the commute, or they might be on the train or driving, or maybe going for a run. And they're not always focusing, you know, they'll, they'll kind of hear something and they'll focus in on what you said, you know. But then the podcasts I like, they can go off on all kinds of tangents. So I, it's a different medium, you know, and um, I'm, I'm still learning about it. You know, I've been doing it a couple of years. And, and But it, I like how casual it is and how yeah. you don't have to put as much effort into editing and, and structure, you know. And well, you had some great guests. Yeah, we had some, some great people. Uh, obviously, you've been on. You've been on. You're the most regular, John. Now, now we're co-hosts. <laughs> we should announce this. Actually, co-hosts of the podcast. Well, thank uh, yeah. you, Dan. I, I'm honored to be able to co-host with you. I'm really excited. This is really and, and nice to kind of kick off with Nancy as our first guest. Yeah, together. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. What's, what I like about the podcast with Dan is that it's such a conversation. Yes. Sometimes I just feel that Dan and I are just talking you know and 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 i love that it's there there's this an organicness about it and you just i think because you're not on video 
uh, you maybe are a little more relaxed, not as self-conscious, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. uh, that takes that, that video component, I think brings a whole different dynamic, you know, yes. uh, you know, you're self-conscious and you know, how you look and the lighting and all those other things that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. I, I preferred audio only. Definitely. Definitely. But, but, you know, but, but it's much better if you record seeing each other on the screen, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. This is a great uh, interface with uh, StreamYard. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, Shout out to StreamYard. Uh, great, great tool for doing online events. You can stream directly live to YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I think you can stream live wow. to all of these things at the same time. Um, nice. So it's, it's a great tool. We, 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 this is just recorded. You can also just record stuff, but it's, it's a great tool to check out for schools. Fantastic. Okay, I'm going, Dan, I'll let you, uh, I'll end the broadcast and we look forward to talking to people soon. Yeah. Nancy, thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. Hope to see people at the loft soon. We have a couple events coming up. So yeah, why don't you tell us what's coming down on the loft oh, before we wrap up? We have Leanne Jung coming for next Thursday. And then we have Tanya Gilchrist. And our finale is with Dr. Kevin Ruth and Young Zhao. So we're really looking, and that's just going to be a conversation. They're just talking about, you know, just, they're just talking. Tell it's us like, a bit about Young Zhao to the audience, just so they have a context. Oh, you have to go to his website. I would say he's one of the most brilliant educators of today in terms of looking at innovation, looking at design. And he's so practical. Um, I One of the most, um, you have to, I, I wish I had the link of all his books. Someone to look up definitely in terms of, his perspective of how we should be looking forward with looking, reimaging and redesigning education. Um, and besides that, you know, when I first heard about him, I was, I read, a, I, I think four of his books already. And I was so nervous to meet him. And I sat next to him at lunch. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to think of really, really big words to talk to him about, like multisyllabic <laughs> words. So I look really smart. The most down-to-earth gentleman in the yeah, world, talking about his kids, so kind. And I was like, oh, my God, you're wonderful. So um, You're human. <laughs> you're human. You're not this, like, major man who writes these books that I adore. You're, like, amazing. So it was uh, a great. So Great. So yeah. virtual learning loft, uh, definitely yeah. three big dates there. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh it was such an honor to actually talk to you. And also now I'm excited to work with Dan on doing some co-hosting periodically. So this How is exciting. a real privilege. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.